He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks to, of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham, of the yeah, sorry, of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us, who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. At the men's growth group on Wednesday night, um, we were looking at this passage and we were talking about specifically how does it work that faith can be counted as righteousness? How does it work that faith can be credited or imputed as righteousness? And it was suggested that the Cadbury ad with the little girl buying the chocolate for her mum suggested that that's a helpful ad to kind of illustrate the point. So here it is without sound because you don't need any sound. See what you think. If you can see it. 
It's the transaction at the desk that we're looking at. Um, no illustration's perfect, but it gets you thinking about how this works. I'll point out a big flaw with this comparison down the track. But as you zoom in here, you think about the transaction at the desk there. The little girl, she is the recipient of a gift. She didn't earn the chocolate. She didn't pay for the chocolate. She couldn't even afford the chocolate. It was a, it was a gift from the shopkeeper. And that's what it's like for faith to be credited as righteousness for us. We can't afford it. We can't earn it. We come to God with nothing. We trust in Jesus and he counts us as being righteous. It's a gift, an undeserved gift. And that's what Romans 4, the passage that was read for us, that's what it zooms in on. It's looking at that transaction, the transaction that happens when faith is credited as righteousness, the way that we receive the undeserved gift of being right with God. And so at the end of the sermon, I'll pray a prayer that you might have heard at church before. It's the kind of prayer that you pray to become a Christian. It's the kind of prayer you pray to accept the gift of forgiveness. So we'll come to that. But first, let me remind you where we're up to on our way through Romans. This is where it's really good to have the Bible open in front of you. And if you don't, you're missing out. Romans chapters 1 to 3 shows us how the gospel reveals the undeserved gift of being right with God. Romans was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. Back in chapter 1, verse 14, he says he's obligated to preach this gospel. He's got to preach it. And 1, verses 16 and 17, he says he's not ashamed of the power of, God, of the gospel because it is the power of God. And he has this plan to come to Rome to preach the gospel to them too and be mutually encouraged by them. And then we dipped into the end of Romans in chapter 15 and you discover actually he's got a plan that goes beyond Rome. He wants to take this gospel to Spain. And then back in chapter 1, what he does is starts explaining the gospel. Um, he explains the gospel and he starts with the bad news, the news that want, makes you want to appreciate the gospel that much more. The bad news starts in 1 verse 18. This is your, your recap. The bad news starts in 1 verse 18 where it says the wrath of God or the punishment of God is being revealed, being shown, being released on a world of people that are suppressing the truth about God. And that takes you down to 1 verse 32. Then you turn to chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, well, if you think you're not like that, if you think you're not deserving of God's wrath, if you think you're not suppressing the truth about God, well, think again because you are. And that's the situation. It's a rather grim situation. Um, but this world under God's judgment, this world suppressing the truth and being judged by God, that's not the situation that will run on forever. In 2, verse 5, we're told there is a day of God's wrath coming when he will judge fully, and finally, and fairly, and then in 2 verse 4, the reason that hasn't already happened is that God is patient. He's giving us time to turn back to him. The point to there, to, one verse, I mean, to 2 verse uh, 5, is that everyone deserves God's punishment because we all push God to one side. We suppress what we know about God and try to live our lives without him. Then 2 verse 17, it, it turns to the religious. Um, they're no better. The people who have God's word, the people who have God's um, special revelation in God's word, the Jews in 2 verse 17, they're no better. In fact, if you follow through to 3 verse 20, what God's word, what the Lord does is show us our sin all that much more clearly. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're descended from Abraham or of the nations, we're all guilty of suppressing the truth about God. 
we're all subject to the wrath of God. We all deserve the wrath of God. And for most Aussies, that news is not readily accepted. Most people will suppress that truth as well. But if you can accept it, it makes the good news of the gospel that much better. And that's where we were last week. So in 3 verses 21 to 31, you have the good news of the gospel. The good news that Jesus sacrificed his death is counted as our punishment. He takes our punishment. And when Jesus died, God's wrath was directed at him instead of us. God's righteous anger was appeased in Jesus, not in us. And so in the gospel, we have this way in which God can be just as he justifies the unjust. God can be just as he justifies the unjust, and that is good news. Um, there's lots of jargon on our way through Romans so far. You would have noticed, even as I've been speaking this morning, I've been um, kind of translating righteousness into right with God, kind of simplifying it like that. Then there's the word justification, you know, being justified. It's the idea of being just as if I'd never sinned, being just as if I'd never sinned. And then in chapter 3, verse 25, you've got another jargon word there. It's actually three words, sacrifice of atonement, atonement at one moment you can you can picture it can't you being made one again with god that sort of idea except it's a made up word and if you've got a better translation it'll say propitiation which is a word you use in english every day don't you no that's why they've gone for three words sacrifice of atonement but the trick with sacrifice of atonement is it loses part of propitiation it loses the fact that jesus death appeases god's wrath and some want it that way because they don't want to think that god gets angry but that's another story once you get your head around the jargon, it's a simple message. The bad news is we all deserve God's judgment because we suppress the truth about God. Whether we know a lot or a little, we push it down. That's the bad news. The good news is there is a way that the unjust can be justified and God can do that while remaining just. And here in chapter 4, we're looking at how the transaction happens, how you receive this free gift, this undeserved gift. Um, chapter 4 focuses in on the way you receive the gift and it pulls out Abraham, holds up Abraham as the test case, the example of receiving this free gift. Why single out Abraham? Well, it says in verse 1, he's the forefather of God's people, the nation of Israel. He's big daddy Israel. But there's more reasons why. If you look down in 4 verse 11, he's the father of everyone who believes. So if you call yourself a Christian, he's your dad too. That's why he's being singled out. Or if you look down in verses 23 and 24, it says, we can be declared right with God through having the same faith as Abraham. So Abraham's pulled out for us as an example. This is how the transaction happens. This is what you give to the shopkeeper. This is how this thing works. Um, so let's make sure we understand how the transaction happens because we can receive the same gift in the same way. There's three things or three ways that Abraham didn't receive his gift of being declared righteous. First way, Abraham wasn't declared righteous by works or by deeds or by actions or by things he did. Verse 3 to 4 clearly explains the difference between wages and a gift. What Abraham received was a gift. It wasn't wages. He didn't earn it. Verse 2 says if he did earn it, he could boast, but Paul just gives that a quick backhand. He's not even going to go there. You don't boast before God. Um, verse 3 tells us how Abraham was declared right with God. Verse 3 says, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
It's a quote from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It's like the apostle is kind of double-clicking on Genesis 15, verse 6, and pulling it open and zooming in, making you look at that moment when God declared that Abraham was righteous because that helps you understand how this gift transaction happens. And we'll come back to uh, verses 3 to 8 in a minute. First way that um, Abraham didn't receive the free gift was by earning it. The second thing is down in verse 9. Abraham, he wasn't declared righteous because he was circumcised. Put it another way, being circumcised didn't make Abraham right with God. And the reason is very simple. In verse 10, circumcision came later, came after. So you can't say that by being circumcised, you're better in God's eyes. It doesn't work that way. The point of verses 9 to 12, though, is that this offer, this gift, is for more than just Israel. Um, why is this circumcision word even mentioned? Why is it, why is it come up? I think because, you know, well, circumcision was the identifying thing about a Jew. That's what made you a Jew. And I expect there were some people who put their confidence in their Jewishness. And Paul's saying, no, justification isn't reserved for Jews. It's open for all. Um, what matters isn't your Jewishness, but that you have faith. So verse 11, partway through, goes, So then, he, he's talking about Abraham, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. And down in verse 12, And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It's a very simple point. Having the same faith, Abraham had. That is what matters. It's not whether you're Jew or not. God's free gift of being declared right with him is open to Jew and Gentile. And we may not you know, ever think of claiming that we're Jewish because well, how would you? But maybe an equivalent situation could be claiming that my parents are Christian. I've grown up in a Christian family. I've always gone to church. I have this status of being called a Christian by others. Therefore, God will look at me better. You can see how it's this idea of somehow earning or deserving a free gift. It doesn't work that way. We're reading through Romans 4 and thinking about how Abraham was declared to be right with God by faith. Um, because if we can understand how Abraham was declared right with God, then we know how we can be declared right with God. First, one, verses 1 to 5, Abraham wasn't declared right with God by works. Second, verses 9 to 12, he wasn't justified by being circumcised. His race or his status didn't merit God's favour. And third, down in verse 13, Abraham wasn't credited with righteousness through the law. And that comes as no surprise because we've done a little recap of Romans 1 to 3. We know, chapter 3, verse 20, what the law does is show up our sinfulness, put the spotlight on our sinfulness. If you could make amends by keeping rules then this faith transaction wouldn't be required. So if you look at verse 14, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Rule-keeping cannot replace humble trust in God. So can you follow the logic? First thing, Abraham's not declared right with God through his works and then almost as a subset, he's not declared righteous because of his circumcision and he's not declared righteous because of law-keeping. Um, all three points, they're important because they're three common ways that people think that you can impress God, that you can earn favour before God. 
We think that we can please God by our deeds, by our achievements, by having a long run where we keep up with the two-year Bible reading plan. We think that somehow that puts us in a better place before God. Um, We put our confidence in our achievements or our status or our obedience to rules. We might even put our confidence in biblical understanding. We can even put our confidence in how faithful we are. But it doesn't work that way. That's that's all the same problem. That's, That's putting your confidence in works. It's not accepting the free gift. It's like thinking of God like that cosmic vending machine, the vending machine where you put into the the coin slot, you put in your good good works, your religious achievements, the fact that you're baptised, the fact that you're Presbyterian for crying out loud, and then you hit the button and at the bottom pops this declaration of righteousness. And that's the kind of wrong-headed way of thinking. Being declared right with God, it's not something you can earn. We're like the little girl at the counter wanting the chocolate. We've actually got nothing to give. We've got nothing that we'll earn, we'll pay for the gift. We can't afford it. What we need is generosity. What we need is a free gift. So how do we receive the gift of being declared right with God? Come back up to verse 3 again and work down. So back up in verse 3, it says Abraham was justified by faith. So verse 3, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So as I said before, we're zooming in there on Genesis chapter 15. Verse 6, three chapters before this, in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham when he was Abram. He said, go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and I'll bless all nations through you. And Abram believed God. He trusted God. He went ahead and uprooted himself, left his, his family home and went off to this land of Canaan where he lived in a tent didn't actually have any land, and he and Sarah, his wife, couldn't have any children. That was back in chapter 12. Three chapters later in Genesis 15, God speaks to Abram again, and Abram points out, well, i still got no kids, and God tells Abraham to look at the stars. It's at night. He tells Abraham to look up into the stars and says, so shall your offspring be. You're going to have lots of descendants. And 15 verse 6, we're told Abraham believed the Lord, He believed Yahweh, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Zoom in on that moment under the stars that night. What Paul's doing is he highlights that time, underlines it, explains it, because that is how we receive God's grace, God's gift as well. That's how we can be declared righteous, by having the same kind of faith that Abraham had at that point. It happens when you trust God like Abraham did under the stars that night. God says, he'll look after it, and you say, thank you, God. God says he'll take care of things, and you say, thank you, God, when you you know you don't deserve it. You know you can't afford it. You know you can't earn it. It's not about keeping rules. It's not about your status. Um, Genesis 15 verse 6 is where the action is. All Abraham did was trust God at his word. And so have a look down at verse 18 and following where Paul comes back to this and explains it a little bit more. 4 verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been written to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was, only, he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was dead. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And then look at verse 21. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Because he just trusted God. He relied upon God to do what God had said he will do. There was nothing Abram could do to make God's promise of children happen. He was, his body was as good as dead and Sarah, his wife, her body was as good as dead. All they could do was trust God. And that's what Abraham did. He literally believed that God could bring life from an all but dead body. That's what he believed. Um, the promise of becoming the great nation was back in chapter 12. The promise of having descendants like stars was at Genesis 15. Two chapters later, in chapter 17, is the covenant, the circumcision covenant, and the point where God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, you know, Big Daddy. He's still waiting to have kids until chapter 21. But our focus is back here on chapter 15, verse 6, where the transaction took place under the stars, where God made a promise and Abraham trusted. Zooming in on that night, we see how to receive the gift of being right with God. Just trust God. Rely on him. Um, we have a far more complete picture of how the transaction works, how we can be declared right with God, because we've got Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 unpacking it for us, explaining how Jesus' death is a sacrifice in our place. But in the end, what we need to do is have the same faith that Abraham had to trust that God can bring life out of our dead bodies, that he can turn us around and change us. So faith, you can, you can put different words in there. You can interchange the words trust. Faith is like trust. It's like relying. It's like depending. Faith is like, it's not, it's not you doing anything. It's you trusting what someone else has done. And in our case, trusting what Jesus has finished on the cross. God will count us as being right with him. He'll credit us with being right with him if we can do that, if we can just trust him. So 4 verse 23, the words it was credited to him were written not for him, for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's how you receive the gift of being right with God. And, and that will shape the prayer that we'll pray in a few moments. But let's just keep thinking about this trust idea, the way faith works. Our trust in God, our faith in God, you, you look over your life and your faith will waver. You'll have your good days and you'll have your bad days. That's just the way it happens. What matters is not how strong your, your faith is. What matters is that your faith or your trust is in Jesus. It's what Jesus has done that matters. And just as Abraham shows us um, what faith is like in Genesis 15, verse 6, he also shows us what human trust is like as he goes on living his life. You keep reading through Genesis and you see his bad days and you see his good days. I reckon one of his bad days is in chapter 16 when Abram and Sarah, they're still waiting to have kids and they take matters into their own hands. And Sarah has this idea that if, he has a, if Abraham, her husband, has a child through her handmaid, well, you know, that'll, that'll solve the problem. And that little experiment that produced Ishmael didn't end well. I reckon that was one of the bad days. But then you keep reading, you come to Genesis chapter 25, where God tests Abraham and his trust in him, in God, and says to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son. 
And Abraham is prepared to go through with that and God provides an alternative. When you read uh, from Hebrews 11 backwards, you see in Hebrews 11 it says, Abraham reasoned that God can bring dead back to life. Sounds a lot like what he trusted in in chapter 15 verse 6, that God can bring life from a dead body. I think Genesis 25 is describing one of Abraham's good faith days. But the point is, our faith will vary. What matters is that we're trusting in Jesus because he's the one who's done all the hard work. How strong your faith is is not as important as who your faith is in. Um, Jesus is the one who makes it possible for, for, for God to declare us right with him. I said the illustration of the little girl giving her goodies for the chocolate. I said it doesn't work. Here's why I think it doesn't work. She went away from that shop thinking that she'd paid for the chocolate, didn't she? It doesn't work. That's not what salvation from God is like. We, we don't earn it. And that's what makes it such an amazing gift because we know we don't deserve it. There's nothing we could do to merit it, to earn it. And so come back now to um, the second person that Paul throws out there as an example of faith, King David. Back up in verses 6 to 8, it says, King David knew the blessing of being credited as righteous, apart from works. David knew how this works. He knows what it's like to get a genuinely free gift of being declared right with God. And I reckon let's come back to the psalm that Reich read for us before. Have a look at Psalm verse 32. The first two verses there are the ones that are quoted in Romans. So verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's David being all wordy and happy about the fact that it is amazing to be forgiven when you don't deserve it. And then he goes on in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. I, I reckon he's describing what it's like when you don't confess your sin to God, when you sit on it, and when the guilt festers. When you go on living your life, pushing, to God, pushing God to one side, ignoring the fact that he is God over you, it's not a happy place brings a lot of pain and then you see the relief in the next little bit then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity and I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin when we stop suppressing the truth when we acknowledge that we are sinful human beings when we acknowledge that we do not deserve forgiveness from God we don't deserve to be right with him when we confess like that and God turns around and says, I credit you as being righteous, it is amazing relief. So then you have um, in verses 6 to 7 of the psalm, David calling on everyone to do what he's done, to find your refuge in God. I'm going to pray the prayer I've been saying I'll pray, just a simple one, probably one you've seen before. It's the kind of prayer that you pray to accept God's gift of forgiveness. It's not complicated, it's simple. And it's the kind of prayer that as Christians we want to pray often. It's a prayer that says sorry to God for rebelling against him, for ignoring him, for suppressing the truth about him. It's a simple prayer that says thank you for Jesus, his death in my place. There's a lot behind that. 
the way the sacrifice works and all that, that's Romans. And then the please, please forgive me and declare me to be right with you. Sorry, thank you, please. That's all it takes. And if, I don't know, if you've been around church for a little while and you're not sure if you are a Christian, well, how about you make today the day that you are sure? Tell someone that you are and let's help each other keep living for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I am sorry for rebelling against you and ignoring you. Thank you for Jesus and his death in my place. Please forgive me and declare me to be right with you. Amen.